Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Uh, Well, today, as Daniel had already mentioned, is Christ the King Sunday. Uh, It's the final Sunday in the Christian calendar, uh, which next Sunday is the first Sunday in Advent and the start of a new liturgical year. So uh, kind of in an early, weird-feeling sort of way, this is New Year's Eve, and next Sunday will be New Year's. So uh, just kind of to reorient our clocks a little bit to to the Christian calendar. Uh, but with the Christian, I love the Christian calendar, uh, and many of you have kind of been with me on that journey over the last couple of years to learn to appreciate it. Uh, but what I love about it is that it ends with uh, the recognition and the proclamation of the kingship of Christ. Uh, so it's fitting that we would end our study in Colossians today, uh, because in many ways, uh, this is what Colossians is all about, is the kingship of Christ. Uh, that the Apostle Paul emphasizes uh, the loving and self-sacrificial rule of Jesus Christ throughout the letter. He tries to make implications both for our personal lives and for our corporate lives together about the kingship of Christ. Uh, But one thing is clear as you read not just Colossians but many of the other uh, letters that the Apostle Paul wrote is that Paul considers uh, the kingship of Christ, that that, uh, Paul considers Christ to rule from the cross. Uh, that, that Jesus is not uh, reigning over, but rather he's serving us in self-sacrificial love, that this is the kind of king uh, that he is. The other thing that Paul wants to make very clear in Colossians and through the rest of his letters is that Jesus is not a king-elect. Uh, that is to say that he's yet to be king, uh, but Paul wants to be very clear that Jesus is right now reigning as king over all of creation. Uh, And so it's a fitting day to end our study in Colossians. Uh, What I want to do today is um, something we've been trying out uh, this year, and that is I want to read to you uh, the letter to the Colossians. Um, Now, we do this for a couple of reasons. We did it with the book of Jonah, we did it with 1 John, and we're doing it now in Colossians. Uh, But we want to do this uh, because we, we want to give credence to Uh, the Word of God as a whole. The other thing we want to do is there's real value in uh, hearing kind of a a complete thought or a complete letter from beginning to end. Uh, Something when we are kind of taking out bite-sized pieces, we often miss the overall flow of thought or the connecting points that the the author is is trying to put together. Uh, And and so we we try to bring the reading of Scripture uh, in a big swath to the public space. Uh, can I tell you it's risky? <laughs> oh, all you're going to do is read the Bible in church, right? And you wouldn't believe how many folks kind of say that. <laughs> all you're doing is reading the scriptures. But we want to, uh, we want to value the Word of God. Uh, but more than that, we want to value the activity of the living Word of God through the reading of His Word, right? Uh, that is to say that when we say the Word of God, uh, we mean primarily not just the Bible, but Christ. Christ is the living Word of God. And then we have the Scriptures that point uh, to Him. Uh, And so as we read Colossians, we want to lean into the living Word of Christ and the new life that He is infusing into these ancient words. Uh, But before we do that, I want to kind of give us um, a summary of of where we've been so far so that we can kind of get a framework for understanding and hearing the letter. Uh, Sound good? 
You guys ready to, to, to just kind of hear and, and, and breathe in God's word? I think it'll be a good thing. So uh, now, so if you remember from week one, uh, Paul begins the, this important letter with a poem about the exalted Messiah, uh, who is Jesus Christ. And this poem uh, is believed by some to be the very first Christian hymn that was sung corporately in churches. It's like the original worship song. That's pretty cool, right? Uh, now, the song says that Jesus is the firstborn over all of creation, and he is the firstborn from among the dead, which is a poetic way of saying that Christ is ruler over creation. We might say Christ is king over creation and over new creation. And then right in the middle of the poem is a statement about how Jesus is the head of the church. Uh, and the fact that the church is right in the center of this poem is actually no accident because it shows us uh, that church life exists in the space between creation and new creation. Uh, that when you come to church, you are sandwiched right in the middle of creation and new creation. Uh, which is to say that our corporate life together can be, and sometimes is, marked by sin. Uh, so relationships can be awkward and difficult and messy and sometimes hurtful. Uh, and yet we also have the seeds of new creation, that we are called to embody the love of God in the midst of kind of that messiness. We're called to embody this, this new creation life to one another as we live under the loving lordship of Christ. Now in chapter two, what Paul does is he gives advice in the midst of the pressures that the Colossians are facing. Uh, and those pressures are to worship Jesus alongside of other gods and to define their faith with a set of rules. And what he does is he reminds these Colossian Christians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and that all the fullness of God dwells in Christ. It's really a not so subtle way of saying that their and our allegiance should belong to Jesus alone. He also reminds them that in Christ they are complete. There's no reason to uh, try and define faith with a whole bunch of rules because in Christ they are radically free to live in Christ-like ways, which is precisely what he builds on in chapter 3. Here he admits that we have an old life, what he calls the old self, and that old life was defined by things by imp like impurity and lust and anger and malice and idolatry and lying. He says, these things belong to the old self, the, your old creation. Remember, we're kind of talking about cosmic creation and new creation. And then he says, what is true on a cosmic scale is true for you, that you have an old self. And these things used to define you, but now you need to put those things off so that you can clothe yourselves with things that belong to new creation, like compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. These are the qualities that define our new selves in Christ. This is what resurrection life looks like. Now, what's interesting to me is that when he's applying these things to the individual, right, you must live in these ways, but he's talking about things and describing things that have to be carried out in relationship. So, at the very, so in, in one and the same, he's talking about your very personal transformation in Christ. You are a new creation, and yet these things must be lived out in relationship with other people. For example, compassion must be expressed in relationship with another. Or patience is practiced when someone else is getting on your nerves, right? 
These things that, that kind of define our personal transformation can't be carried out in isolation, but must be carried out in relationship with other people. That is to say, there's a very personal element to what he's saying, but there's also a very social element to what he says. Now, what Paul then does at the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, is that he applies the lordship of Christ to the family structure. And he's not trying to upend or unroot the, the kind of typical Roman household, but he is trying to redefine it in light of the lordship of Christ. And so under the lordship of Christ, Paul points us to this mutual love and respect among members of the household, that they are called to embody the loving rule of Jesus to one another. And then in chapter 4, which we actually haven't talked about, but I want to give you a little piece of it today. In chapter 4, Paul does something radical to further apply what he's talking about. In chapter 4, we learn that a guy named Tychicus uh, is the one who actually has carried this letter to the Colossians and is now reading it out loud to them. Now, Tychicus i got to like think before I say that or I'll like, totally botch that name. Uh, Tychicus is accompanied by a guy named Onesimus. Uh, and this is where it gets really interesting. Onesimus was once a slave who belonged to a Colossian Christian named Philemon. So do you, see, do you see what's happening here? Alongside the guy who's reading this letter is a former slave of that very church. And, and like reading, he's reading this letter and here's a slave of one of their former members and like this is, this is already awkward, right? <laughs> As he's reading these instructions. But this is, what, what is revolutionary is to give these instructions while a former slave is right there, but then the volume gets churned up to 11. We learn from another letter actually addressed to Philemon and you can read that letter in your New Testament. We learn from the letter to Philemon that Onesimus actually escaped from Philemon's household. And so Onesimus is an escaped slave from one of the members of this church where this letter is being read, and this, this is an offense that would surely and certainly lead to imprisonment, maybe even death. But instead of sending Onesimus to prison, Paul instructs this community to welcome Onesimus as a brother. I want you to see the relational dynamics happening as this letter is being read for the first time in the Colossian church, right? And I kind of wonder if there were some hecklers in the crowd who began to say, no way, ah, you know, or like, like what the actual response was to this. Because Paul, as Paul is instructing this community to welcome Onesimus as a brother, it's a way of ending this letter with an exclamation point and provide opportunity for this community to apply what they are hearing right then and there, <laughs> right here and right now. So this is a powerful letter that encourages us that no area of our life is left untouched by the loving rule of Christ. Do you hear that? Colossians in a nutshell, there is no area of our life that is left untouched by the loving rule of Christ. He is the center of our faith. He is the object of our allegiance. He is truly Christ above all. Amen? Now let us hear the word of God. I, Paul, have been sent on special assignment by Christ as part of God's master plan 
Together with my friend Timothy, I greet the Christians and stalwart believers of Christ who live in Colossae. May everything good from God our Father be yours. Our prayers for you are always spilling over into thanksgivings. We can't quit thanking God our Father and Jesus our Messiah for you. We keep getting reports of your steady faith in Christ our Jesus and the love that you continuously extend to all Christians. The lines of purpose in which in your lives never grow slack. They are tightly tied as they are to your future in heaven, kept taut by hope. The message is as true among you today as when you first heard it. It doesn't diminish or weaken over time. It's the same all over the world. The message bears fruit and it gets larger and stronger just as it has in you. From the very first day you heard and recognized the truth of what God is doing, you've been hungry for more. It's as vigorous in you now as when you learned it from our friend and close associate Epaphras. He is one reliable worker for Christ. Now I could always depend on him. He's the one who told us how thoroughly love had been at work in your lives through the Spirit. Now be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you. We've been asking God to give you wise minds and spirits that are attuned to his will and so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick, uh, stick it out over the long haul not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. It is strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. God rescued us from dead-end alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the son that he loves so much, the son who got us out of the pit that we were in, who got rid of the sins that we were doomed to keep repeating. We look at this son and we see the God that cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything that was created for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. Everything has got started in him. It finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, they all get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death and his blood that was poured out from the cross. Now you yourselves are a case study of what he does. For at one time you had turned your backs to God, thinking rebellious thoughts about him and giving him trouble every single chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together whole and holy in his presence. 
You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in the bond of trust, constantly tuned to the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. For there is no other message, just this one, that every creature under heaven gets this same message, and I, Paul, am a messenger of that message. If you want to know how glad I am that it's me sitting in this jail and not you, because there's a lot of suffering to be entered into in this world, the kind of suffering that Christ takes on. I welcome the chance to share in the church's part of that suffering. For when I became a servant in this church, I experienced this suffering as a sheer gift. God's way of helping me to serve you and laying out the whole truth. Now this mystery has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out that regardless of background or regardless of their, relig their religious standing, for the mystery in a nutshell is this. Christ is in you. So therefore you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. This is the substance of our message. We preach Christ asking people not to add to the message. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. To be mature is to be basic. There is Christ, no more, no less. And that's what I'm working so hard at, day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy that God so graciously has given to me. I want you to realize that I continue to work as hard as I know how for you and also for the Christians over at Laodicea. Not many of you have met me face to face, but that doesn't make any difference because I want you to know that I'm at your side, right alongside of you. You're not in this alone. I want you woven into a tapestry of love, in touch with everything there is to know of, of God. Then you will have minds that are confident and at rest, that are focused on Christ and God's great mystery. For all the richest treasures of wisdom and knowledge are embedded in that mystery and nowhere else. And we've been shown the mystery. I'm telling you this because I don't want anyone leading you off on some wild goose chase after other so-called mysteries or the secret. I'm a long way off, true. And you may never lay eyes on me, but believe me, I'm at your side, right beside you. I am delighted to hear of the careful and orderly ways that you conduct your affairs, and I'm impressed with the solid substance of your faith in Christ. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You have received Christ Jesus, the master. Now live in him. You are deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Now watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that really never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. That's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him so that you can see him clearly. You don't need a telescope or a microscope or a horoscope to realize the fullness that is in Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you too. 
His power extends over everything. And entering into his fullness is not something you can figure out. It's not something that you can achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, you are already in. You are insiders, and not through some secretive initiation rite, but rather through what Christ has already gone through on your behalf, destroying the power of sin. If it's an initiation rite that you're after, then you've already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it is a resurrection. God raising you from the dead, just as he did Christ. Now, when you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God, but God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, and the old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their fake authority at the cross, and he marched them naked through the streets. So don't put up with anyone pressuring you in details of diet or worship services or holy days. All those things are mere shadows that are cast before what was to come, the substance of Christ. Now, don't tolerate people who try to run your life, ordering you to bow and to scrape, insisting you to join their obsession with angels and that you seek out visions. They're a lot of hot air. That's all they are. They're completely out of touch with the source of life, who is Christ, who puts us together in one piece and whose very breath and blood flows through us. He is the head and we are the body. We can grow up healthy in God but only as he nourishes us. So then if Christ, if with Christ you've put put all that pretentious and infantile religion behind you, then why do you let yourselves be bullied by it? Don't touch this and don't taste that and don't go near this. (laughs) Do you think that things that are here today and then gone tomorrow are worth that much attention? Such things sound impressive if they're said with a deep enough voice. They even give the illusion of being pious and humble and aesthetic. But they're just another way of showing off, making yourselves look important. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. (laughs) Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed in the things that are right in front of you. But look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ, for that's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your eternal life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. So when Christ, that is your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you. The glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity. And that means killing off everything connected to the ways of death. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it. And grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That, that's a life that's shaped by things and feelings instead of being shaped by God. 
It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better, but now you do know better. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, dirty talk. Don't lie to one another. Because you're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes that you've stripped off and put into the fire. But now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. And every item on and every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish, non-Jewish, religious, irreligious, insider, outsider, uncivilized, uncouth, slave, or free, these all mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ and everyone is included in Christ. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe that God has picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and as completely as the Master has forgiven you. And regardless of what else you put on, Wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. And let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with one another. For none of this is going off, none of this going off and doing your own thing. Oh, and also, cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing. Sing your hearts out to God. That is to say, let every detail of your lives, words, actions, whatever, let them all be done in the name of the Master, Jesus, thanking God every step of the way. Now, wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Do not take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you, for this delights the master to no end. But parents... Don't come down too hard on your children, or you will crush their spirits. Servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you will get paid in full when the time comes for your inheritance. And keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ, the sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Christ doesn't cover up bad work. And masters, treat your servants considerately. Be fair with them. Don't forget for a minute that you too serve a master and he is God in heaven. So church, 
pray diligently. Stay alert with eyes wide open in gratitude. And don't forget to pray for us that God will open doors for the telling of the mystery of Christ even while I am locked up in jail. And pray that every time I open my mouth, I'll be able to make Christ as plain as day to those who are listening. Use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. For the goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down or cut them out. My good friend Tychicus will tell you all about me. He's a trusted minister and companion in service of the master. I've sent him to you so that you would know how things are with us and so he could encourage you in your faith. And I've also sent Onesimus with him. Onesimus is one of you. And he has become a trusted and dear brother. Together, they'll bring you up to date on everything that has been going on here. Aristarchus, who is in jail here with me, also sends his greetings. And also Mark, cousin of Barnabas. You've received a letter regarding him. If he shows up, go ahead and welcome him. And also Jesus, the one they call Eustus. These are the only ones left from the old crowd who have stuck with me in working in God's kingdom. Don't think they haven't been a huge help. Epaphras, who is one of you, says hello. What a trooper he has been. He's been tireless in his prayers for you, praying that you will stand firm, mature and confident in everything that God wants you to do. I've watched him closely and can now report on how hard he has worked for you and for those in Laodicea. Luke, a good friend and physician, and Demas both send their greetings. And say hello to our friends in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that meets in her house. And after this letter has been read to you, make sure it gets read also in Laodicea. And get the letter that went to Laodicea and have it read to you. <laughs> and, oh yes, tell Archippus. Do your best in the job that you've received from the master. Do your very best. Now I'm signing off in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember to pray for me in this jail. Grace be with you all. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.